Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for giving us your word, the Bible. Do please help us tonight to understand what this passage is saying. Help us to think about how we might put what it says into practice in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not everyone in our world likes the idea of evangelism, do they? Not everyone agrees with the idea of Christians telling other people about Jesus, of Christians encouraging people to put their trust in Jesus. It seems to me the biggest reason people oppose evangelism in our Western culture is the philosophy that's called relativism. That's the idea that there is no absolute truth. Truth is relative. Something can be true for you, but not true for me. Relativists are often opposed to evangelism because they say, well, look, other people's truth is just as valid as your truth. If you think your truth is more valid or better, that's, that's an arrogant thing to think. It's a, an intolerant thing to think. And if you would then impose your truth on other people and say they've got to believe what you believe, well, that is, that's intolerably intolerant. People say it's rude and arrogant to do evangelism. Have you, have you ever heard people say stuff like that? Well, of course, it's not just Christian. It's not just non-Christians who hate evangelism, is it? Uh, I suspect nearly all of us find evangelism pretty uncomfortable. We we might like the idea that someone else would uh, rely on Jesus, but but we'd rather someone else told them about him. Now, this passage from Acts that we're looking at tonight, it describes the first ever evangelistic missionary trip. Think about it. In, in the book of Acts so far, we've, we've seen people kind of evangelizing where they are, Jews in Jerusalem, and then we've seen people scattered by persecution, and where they are scattered to, they will talk about Jesus, and, and perhaps some people will be sent up to confirm what's going on and so on. But here is the first ever time where people say, we will send you from here to there to talk about Jesus. The first ever evangelistic missionary trip. Not Paul and uh, Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Paul is the same person whose name changes during the course of this passage. Saul and Barnabas are the people who, who are sent now, back in chapter 11 of Acts, you may remember that uh, Saul and Barnabas were sent off to do a job. They were sent from their church in Antioch down to the church in Jerusalem to take some money for famine relief. Now, this was actually a very, very significant trip for Paul. He talks about it in Galatians chapter 2 in his own words. He says that when he went down to Jerusalem, he met with the other apostles, with Peter and James and John and so on, and he presented the gospel that he preached to them. They said, well, Paul, that is exactly the same gospel that we're preaching. And, and they agreed with Paul on what was the hot issue of the day. They agreed that Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, Gentiles could be Christians without having to become Jewish. They didn't have to get circumcised, they didn't have to eat kosher, they didn't have to obey the law of Moses, do all the things that Jews do. They could just become fully-fledged Christians as they were, as Gentiles. And also the apostles said, Well, hey, Paul, you've obviously been called by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That is your specialty. You've been called by God to do that. 
A very significant time, this trip down from Antioch to Jerusalem. Well, now at the end of Acts chapter 12, the visit to Jerusalem is finished. So Barnabas and Saul, they pick up Barnabas's cousin, Mark, and they head back up to Antioch. Look with me, Acts chapter 12 and verse 25. Acts 12, 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John, also called Mark. Well, they get back to Antioch, and the Holy Spirit speaks to the church, no doubt through one of the prophets who are, who are mentioned here. The Holy Spirit says, look, I've called Barnabas and Saul to go off and be the apostle to the Gentiles. So he says, send them off. Chapter 13 and verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And so Barnabas and Saul head off on the first ever evangelistic missionary trip down to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas was from. They head off to Cyprus, they talk about Jesus in the Jewish synagogues, and then Luke tells us a very weird story. A strange thing happens. They come to a place called Paphos, and there is a bloke who is a Jewish sorcerer. Now, of course, Jews weren't supposed to be sorcerers, but anyway, that's what he is. And this Jewish sorcerer is an advisor to a Gentile proconsul, kind of a high political position proconsul. He's a bloke by the name of Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus is interested in the message about Jesus, but the Jewish sorcerer, he tries to discourage him. Pick it up with me from chapter 13 and verse 6, Acts 13, 6. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So you see what's happening? You've got a Jew trying to stop a Gentile from hearing the message about Jesus. He's trying to hinder evangelism. And look what happens then. He falls under the judgment of God. God blinds this Jew. But the Gentile has his eyes opened. He, he comes to believe the message about Jesus. There in verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. 
I don't know about you, but that is probably not the story that would jump into my mind as the first story that I would tell about the first ever evangelistic missionary trip. It's a pretty weird story, don't you think? So what do you reckon is going on? Why, why this story to kick us off? As we move through this first mission, we'll see that this story sets a pattern. It shows us a pattern. A pattern that is going to keep repeating itself. Jews ought to trust in Jesus. Jesus is their king. Jesus is the fulfillment of their scriptures. Jesus is their saviour, sent to them by God. Jesus should, Jews should accept the message about Jesus. And God has made the Jews the light to the nations. They should then send that message, commend the message of their king to the rest of the world. But what happens on this first evangelistic mission, many of the Jews actually reject the message. They're they're, they're jealous that the message would go out to Gentiles. And like the Jewish sorcerer in this story, they try to stop Gentiles from hearing the message. And so instead of being God's people and, and God's light, God actually has to shift them aside. They face God's judgment. But by God's grace, many Gentiles do come to believe in Jesus. That's the pattern that's established. and We see it at the next stop. The next stop for Paul and Barnabas is Pisidian Antioch. That's the same name as the other Antioch, but completely different place. They go to the synagogue, the Jewish meeting place, and they're given an opportunity to explain their message. Paul stands up to speak, but just have a look at who he addresses. It's there in verse 16. It may not have struck you as it was read through. He addresses both the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Just a bit of background about what would have been happening here. In those days... In those days, Judaism was much more of a missionary religion than it is today. Uh, Jews wanted to know people about God and his law, and many Gentiles were interested. But it's not that easy to become a Jew. Uh, If you're a bloke, you've got to get yourself circumcised. And you've got to follow all the practices of Judaism. You've got to eat kosher, you've got to celebrate the festivals, you've got to obey God's law. No more ham sandwiches, no more prawn cocktails. You've got to give it all up. And so what many Gentiles did, they would hang around with Jews, that they would come to synagogue to hear interesting teaching about God, but they never actually went the whole hog, so to speak, and became Jewish. So the situation was, the Jews allowed them to be there in the synagogue, but they weren't allowed to become members. They couldn't really participate. They were, well, what they, would, they were pushed off into the back where the women are. Sorry to say. Uh, they had to sort of stand out the back, so stand over there in the choir vestry. They had to stand there and they had to keep the ma- their mouths shut. They, they, they could sort of be bystanders, but they couldn't participate. The, the people who participated were, were what's called the minion, the, the, the group of Jewish men. And, and so the, the synagogue leader would never address the, the Gentiles. He'd speak to, to the Jewish men, not Paul. Paul addresses both the Jews and the Gentiles. He starts off by giving them a potted history of Israel. He talks about how God chose Israel, how he rescued Israel out of Egypt, how he he brought Israel to the promised land. And and then he takes them through the time of the judges, you know, Gideon, Samson, uh, through through to the time of the prophet Samuel. Uh, 
Then he talks about the kings, King Saul, and then we land on King David. Now, of course, King David is very special, isn't he, in the Old Testament? He's very special because God made very special promises to King David. God said to King David, one of your sons will rule over my people and over the world forever. That was God's promise. One of David's sons will be the eternal ruler. The thing is, by the time Paul is speaking, there's no king in the line of King David. In fact, there hasn't been for some 500 years. So the Jews were waiting, expecting, hoping, waiting for this this man in the line of King David, the man who came to be known as the Messiah, waiting for him to come and, and rescue his people. Well, Paul says, it's happened. Jesus is that man in the line of King David, the Saviour. It's in verse 23. Talking about King David, Paul says, From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour, Jesus, as he promised. (coughs) Paul talks about how John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, and then he addresses the congregation again, and look how he does it again. It's both Jews and Gentiles. He says the message is for us, for, for, for all of them. Verse 26, Brothers, children of Abraham, And you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. And then he tells them the message about Jesus. As the scripture predicted, Jesus was despised and rejected by his own people, killed on a cross, laid in a grave, but God gloriously reversed the human verdict, raised Jesus up from the dead, and he was seen by eyewitnesses. Let's have a look at the way it's said. Verse 27, verse 27. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree, the tree of curse, you know, and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Paul then works through some quotes from the Old Testament to show how the resurrection of Jesus is is really the fulfilment of God's promises. Jesus really is the King and the Saviour. And so Paul gives God's offer. God's offer to the Jews and the Gentiles. He says... If you rely on Jesus, you will be forgiven. Completely clean slate. Forgiven, righteous before God, accepted before God in a way that you never could by trying to obey the law of Moses, God's law in the Old Testament. Verse 38. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him... Everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. That's the offer. Pretty nice offer, don't you think? That's the offer. But there's also a warning, because you see, this is, 
this is a stunning passage. This is a, um, a mind-blowing message. This is even a, an offensive message for some Jews because he's saying that the Messiah will accept everyone, both Jew and Gentile. That's, that's just untenable for, for, for Jews in the way that they were thinking at the time. And so Paul warns them from the scripture. He says, you must accept this message. Don't scoff or you could end up perishing. Verse 40. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Well, it's a heck of a lot to process in one sitting, to have your mind completely blown. Some of them are convinced on the spot. They just think that is superb. And, 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 uh, and Paul and Barnabas encourage them to, to be Christians. But for the rest, they sort of go, well, we better hear you again on this. Come on back next Saturday. And then over the next week, the town must have been completely buzzing. The, uh, those Gentiles in the synagogue, they must have gone everywhere and, and talked to everyone. You wouldn't believe what we heard. A bloke in the synagogue, you know I hang around the synagogue, a bloke in the synagogue was there and he told us about the promised Jewish saviour. And you know what? He reckons that he can save us too. That we can be God's people too. Well, the next Saturday, that synagogue is chock-a-block. Hundreds of people crowd into the synagogue. The place is filled with Gentiles. Now, the Jews should have been rejoicing. They should have been glad that people wanted to know about their king. But many of them weren't. Instead, they were jealous. Jealous at the idea that God would accept Gentiles. You can imagine the way they're thinking, I had to get circumcised. I've never eaten a ham sandwich. Never a prawn cocktail in my life. And these Johnny-come-latelys just reckon they can rock up and Paul says that uh, the Messiah is going to save them as well. They're jealous. And so, like that Jewish sorcerer that we saw, they try to stop the Gentiles from hearing about Jesus. Verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. And so the pattern turns out the same as with the Jewish sorcerer. The Jews, they're the ones who are supposed to be the light to the nations. But these Jews are opposing evangelism, opposing the gospel going out to the Gentiles, to the nations. And so they miss out on the blessings of their own king and saviour. They get shifted to the side by God, out of his way. And instead, the light goes out to the Gentiles and and many of them believe. Verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles because this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad 
and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Well, the Jews uh, get Paul and Barnabas kicked out of town, so they head off down to a place called Iconium. They go to the synagogue again, but the same pattern happens again. Some of the Jews believe, but Gentiles believe as well. That makes some of the Jews angry. And so again, like the Jewish sorcerer, they try to hinder evangelism to the Gentiles. Chapter 14 and verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so Paul and Barnabas are forced to move on again and again and again until they finally return to Antioch. And we'll pick up on the rest of their trip next week. But can you see what's happened so far on this first ever evangelistic missionary trip? You see the, the, the pattern that's establishing itself? Paul and Barnabas bring the message about Jesus to both Jews and Gentiles. Some accept the message, but sadly many of the Jews are jealous. Jealous that the message is for Gentiles as well as them. They try to hinder Gentiles from becoming Christians. They, they oppose and hinder evangelism. And so they end up under the judgment of God, shifted out of God's way as the gospel goes out. And then by God's grace, the Gentiles themselves gratefully put their trust in Jesus. If you've kind of started back in Genesis and you're reading your way right through the Bible, this is... This is a tragedy. It's a tragic story. It's so sad that, that God's own people fail so terribly. It's so sad that the Jews who've, who've got God's promises, who've got God's scriptures, who, who've now received God's Messiah, they could end up, they end up missing out on their own saviour. It's a, it's a tragedy. And it's a, it's a tragedy that we ought to learn from. We need to be very careful that we are never people who hinder or oppose evangelism. Now I'm sure that you and I don't have the same problem as those Jews back in Acts. I'm sure we don't think Gentiles can't be converted. I'm sure we agree that anyone can, be, can become a Christian. But I wonder... I wonder, are there any ways that we are hindering evangelism? Are there any ways that we are making it harder for people to become Christians? Well, our relativist society opposes evangelism. And the thing about what they say, it sounds very loving. We're all on the same path. We've all got our own truth. So just leave people alone. Don't be arrogant and intolerant and impose your views. Let people believe what they want. It seems very kind, very tolerant. And we want to be loving and kind and tolerant, don't we? So we need to be very clear about this. Jesus is the only one who can forgive us. Nobody else has died to pay for our sins. 
People who do not rely on Jesus will not be forgiven. If we don't tell people about Jesus, they can't rely on him. And so they remain in their sin. Unforgiven. That's the truth. It's not just true for me. If it's true at all, it's true for me and for you and for everybody. If it's true at all, it is the absolute truth. I hope you haven't been tricked by relativism. I hope you haven't been tricked into thinking that people are okay without Jesus, that they'll somehow find some other truth. Jesus didn't die for nothing. I hope you're not one of those people who says that we shouldn't impose the message of Jesus on anyone. Or one of those people who oppose evangelism and missionary work. If we don't tell people about Jesus, they cannot put their trust in him. If they don't put their trust in him, well, that's it for eternity. Nothing could be more unloving than opposing evangelism. And like with these Jews in Acts, opposing evangelism puts us in grave danger. We're standing right in the way of God and we could just get shifted out of the way. But sometimes it's not so much a, a philosophical thing. I suspect the vast majority of us like the idea of evangelism. We, we do want people to become Christians. But still there could be ways that we are hindering evangelism. Sometimes we can hinder evangelism by just our sheer selfishness. On holidays a while ago I rang up the local Presbyterian church. I spoke to the minister, who's a lovely bloke, said he would love to see us the next Sunday. Then I said to him, I've got uh, three little children, a little boy of five, another little boy of four, and another little boy of two. They are very rowdy children, very busy and energetic children. I said to, I said to the, the, the minister, what have you got for our children? Um, nothing, he said. Uh, no one here has children. No one, no one here wants to look after other people's children. So they'll have to stay in church. I said, well, that's fine by me, but uh, how are people going to feel about my three rowdy boys doing somersaults all over the pews? And He said, well, some people are going to be annoyed. They're going to give you dirty looks, but, uh, but it's good for them. They need to learn. Needless to say, I didn't go to the Prezi church that Sunday. And I thought, I thought you know, if I were a non-Christian... There's no way that I would ever be able to get converted in that church. The people there, they're just on about their own selfish worship experience. They've just got their nice little club. They, want to be, they don't want to be troubled by me and my kids. I would never feel comfortable there dodging people's dirty looks. And so I would never get the chance to hear about Jesus and become a Christian. I wonder if we sometimes hinder the gospel by our selfishness. In some ways it is annoying to have visitors at church. They might sit in your seat. I vividly remember a lovely Christian lady who's since gone to be with the Lord who used to sit up the back there and a visitor came in and she just and sat in her seat and she just she she's probably sitting in the same seat in heaven now every day for the rest of eternity but she just came up and she said look you're sitting in my seat i've been sitting in this seat for 40 years you've got to get out 
<laughs> they might sit in your seat. You might have to talk to the visitors instead of to your friends. You might have to have an uncomfortable conversation with a non-Christian about Jesus instead of some pleasant, superficial Sunday evening chit-chat. It could be hard work. But if we're selfish about it, we will hinder people from hearing about Jesus. And, and as we've seen tonight, that's a pretty dangerous thing to be doing. Well, there's one final way that I want to talk about that we can hinder the spread of the gospel. It's very simply by not playing our part. It's by being too embarrassed or too apathetic or too scared to ever talk about Jesus. There's a story told of a prisoner who was on death row. A chaplain came to him, the chaplain tells the story. The chaplain told this prisoner about how Jesus lived and died and rose again. He said to him, Jesus can rescue you from death and hell. Jesus can give you eternal life. But the prisoner said to him, no way. He said, there is no way that is true. He said, if I believed that that was true, I would do anything to tell everyone about it. If I believed that that was true, I would crawl over cut glass to get that message to people. So I've met plenty of Christians and they won't even cross the road to tell you about Jesus. They obviously don't even believe it themselves. It can't be true. When we don't play our part in evangelism, we show how little we believe in Jesus ourselves. Or else we show how little we care. I mean, it's got to be one or the other, doesn't it? Either we don't believe that people are going to hell without Jesus or we don't care enough to do anything about it. That can be a hindrance to people. It is living evidence that we don't think it's true. Sobering thought, isn't it? We need to learn from the mistake of some of these Jews in Acts. We must never hinder evangelism. But I don't want to end on a negative. Because this passage in Acts is not just a tragedy. Particularly if you're a Gentile, this passage is great news. This is the beginning of the gospel coming to us. This is the beginning of, of the gospel coming to Australia. The gospel is for you. You don't have to sit up in some bystander place in a Jewish Christian church. It's for you. You can be a Christian as you are. That's the big thing that we should be taking away from this passage. We should praise God that the gospel is for us. We should, we should praise God for brave men like Paul and Barnabas. We should praise God that they had the clear insight into the message that they could see that Jesus was not just for Jews, but that his salvation was for the whole world. We should praise God that they were so brave and so diligent and so faithful and they followed the leading of God's Holy Spirit and took the message out of Jesus out into the world. These blokes, these blokes are absolute heroes. And they suffered for it. They're heroes. And of course we should keep supporting today's heroes, shouldn't we? Those people who go off on evangelistic missionary trips today. 
We should be praying for missionaries. We should be financially supporting missionaries. The gospel is for everyone. So let's, let's never hinder evangelism and, and risk being pushed out of the way. No, no, no. Let's, let's gratefully accept Jesus ourselves and let's, let's commend the, the message of Jesus to people around us and let's support and encourage missionary work here and, and everywhere because, because the gospel is for everyone. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you have fulfilled all of your promises to your own people and even beyond that, you have made Jesus a light to all the nations. We thank and praise you that no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, if we put our trust in Jesus, we can be completely forgiven for all that we have ever done wrong and be your people. Our Father, we pray with thanks to you. Please help us, each one, to accept that message for ourselves and help us to love that message and to commend that message for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.